Hey there, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another edition of NHL Trade Talk, the podcast. We're going to be chatting all about the NHL Draft 2023 edition. I've got Brooke Laferno with me from the Hockey Raiders. Brooke, how are you? I'm good. Unfortunately, it wasn't a very like eventful draft as far as dra- or trades go. There's only 12, but a lot of exciting picks, so I'm excited to kind of go through everything with you. Well, you know what? And we talked about it in the last episode about how many trades we thought there would be. And I really did think with the board, the way that it was and how deep this draft was and people having players ranked in a certain place and maybe somebody grabbing somebody or being available. I thought there'd be a lot more trades than there were. Mm-hmm. Like when I said 12 and I think we, you said it too. And we both mm-hmm. were kind of like, yeah, over under 12 or whatever. I figured like in the first round, like on the first day I was going to see 12 and there was none. Like mm-hmm. there were some in the morning before the draft happened, but there really wasn't anything at all in the first round and nothing involving any of the first round picks. It's not mm-hmm. when the draft started to when the draft finished. And what did you say off air? It was like the first time since what? 2007. Yes. Yeah, the first time since 2007 that no trades had been made in the first round of the draft. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Like that. I was, I was way off. I thought for sure this was going to be a busier draft for that, but I guess it goes to, to talk about how important some of these players were and these teams had their lists and they stuck to their lists and these players were available. Mm-hmm. And there was even some moving and shaking early on in terms of who was drafted where. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, let's start with Connor Bedard, though. I mean, I should let you have the floor with this one. He's going to Chicago where you are the big Blackhawks writer for the hockey mm-hmm. Raiders. You cover the team. You've probably been super stoked about this massively excited about the idea of Connor Bedard being kind of the face of the franchise moving forward. Chicago did a lot to sort of beef up the team in anticipation of Bedard coming along with Taylor Hall. They traded Mm -hmm. for Josh Bailey, but then waived Josh Bailey and bought him out. Um, Lots of other things happening here in Chicago, but talk to me about the pick. What did you think? uh, What are you expecting or expecting from Connor Bedard here? So I have kind of a maybe a weird opinion on Bedard that maybe not a lot of Chicago people do. And I say this as I really don't have expectations for Connor Bedard. And I don't mean that in a like a bad way. I think he's going to be fantastic, but it's more like I feel like people are putting so much pressure on him. You know, he's only 17 years old and he's kind of carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I'm so impressed with how he's handled everything. He really has handled everything with so much grace and humility for his age. I think that's so awesome. But I think he's going to be a fantastic player. I'm so excited to watch him for the next 15 whatever years. I think he'll be in Chicago. and um, But really, I don't have any expectations as far as, like, I don't expect him to be the next Patrick Kane. I don't expect him to be the next Connor McDavid. I'm kind of going into it with I'm excited to see what he can do and kind of let his game kind of speak for him. And I think whatever he shows is perfectly okay. He'll be the first Connor Bedard, and that's what I'm looking forward to. That's all I expect to see out of him is just being himself, just being the Connor Bedard that he knows how to be, the hockey player he's going to grow to be that's even better than what he is. So that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I'm just excited to see him, whatever that looks like. I have no expectations for him to be anyone but himself. Is there a situation that you would be either excited a or disappointed b like if he came in and struggled early would you be at all disappointed or with all the expectations that are on him are you kind of like yeah he sort of has to hit a floor for this not to look especially in a deep draft like the one we just had that it would never be considered a bust Connor Bernard is going to be a really good player like that's just the reality of this and he'll figure it out if he doesn't figure it out in the first year Mm -hmm. but 
is there sort of a floor here where you're kind of like, people are going to be a little whatever on him, a little harder than they should be. It's going to be pressure on from, you know, this point forward if he doesn't hit a certain level. To be honest, I do see so many Hawks fans kind of like debating like, oh, what they think the number that he's going to hit. And some, to be honest, I think are so outrageous. Like some are like, oh, I think he's going to be a 100 point player. No, I don't think that and to be honest I don't think there's really any number to me that I think will be disappointing in my opinion like I said I don't have expectations in the sense of like I said whatever he shows I think will be just fine the way it is is fine he's going to be a rookie like everyone else just let him you know let him grow and develop like every other prospect you know that's had to and I think that's what he wants too he just wants to be able to you know show himself and what he can do so no I don't really think there's any number to be honest, that I'd be disappointed in. I would just, like I said, I'm just looking forward to seeing him play whatever that looks like. And like I said, there'll be growing pains. He's a rookie. He's going to learn. And But like I said, still be fantastic. But yeah, I really won't be disappointed with whatever it looks like. Like I said, just excited to see what he can do. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think you want to put all the pressure in the world on this kid. Um, that said, I've heard 30 and 30, 30 goals, 30 assists. That mm-hmm. sounds about fair to me. Like he might be just under that in terms of goals or maybe just over that in terms of goals. Mm-hmm. But to envision that if he stays healthy, that he'll get 55 to 65 points. That's not a stretch for me. I mm-hmm. think that that's absolutely possible. Now, part of that too. is going to depend on what other pieces they put around him, right? Mm-hmm. Like Chicago's almost completely wiped out their roster, but now they started to build it up. So Taylor Hall, I think, is a good addition. Mm-hmm. Corey Perry is an interesting name. I don't Mm -hmm. know that those two are going to play together very much, but Mm -hmm. I get the sense that just having Corey Perry around um, while some will question the leadership there, apparently his teammates just love him. So Mm -hmm. you want Connor Bernard to have a little bit of swagger and edge to his game, which is what Corey Perry has. Right. So there's going to be more here. And as today we're recording this on Friday and there was like a gazillion uh, waivers and buyouts and non-qualified offers for RFAs that are going to now become UFAs on Saturday, Chicago could really dig into this market. Like they absolutely could go fishing and get some really cool pieces to, I don't know if I would say, you know, guarantee a playoff spot or try to contend for anything, but like to really sort of build a nice foundation around Bedard, I think they could do that tomorrow or on Sunday or whatever. I It turned into a buyer's market all of a sudden. Like it wasn't a very deep free agency market. And I still wouldn't say that there's like huge pieces uh, available, mm-hmm. but like some big names are going out of the market. Tyler Rattuzzi, Dimitri Orlov. Like there's some pieces out there that Chicago could take a look at. And even if they want to go cheap, they could, right? So I think there's going to be some options there. And that's the key, right? Build some pieces around them. Don't have him do this on his own. Don't leave and put the word, the weight of the world on his shoulders in the first year um, and risk, you know, injury or risk him trying to do too much just to appease the fan base or whatever. Just give him some shelter, right? And uh-huh. see what you can get out of it. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the second and third pick because to some people, this one was a little off the board, right? Adam Fentilli was considered the uh-huh. consensus, I suppose, second overall uh-huh. pick. But Anaheim was the team that had the second pick and there was a lot of talk going into this draft that they liked Leo Carlson more and they stuck to that. They took Leo Carlson, the center. Um, I guess I'm not shocked, but it goes to show you that there's a lot of closeness in some of these picks, right? So Adam Fantilli goes to Columbus and uh, Carlson goes to Anaheim. Were you surprised by this? Like, did you think, oh man, Fantilli is going to be guaranteed the second overall pick here because he's a really good player, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't him. 
Yeah, I'm a big Adam Fantilli fan, just like I'm a really big Connor Bedard fan. To be honest, I don't think there was a bad pick one and two. Like, to be honest with you, I felt like whoever, whichever team got one or two was going to get, obviously, a fantastic player. So I really thought Anaheim, I really did think that was the consensus second pick was Adam Fantilli. I think most people did. It wasn't until that morning when there was that report that said, I don't think Anaheim's quite sold on Adam Fantilli at at number two and then I was kind of like oh maybe maybe there's some um fire there where there's smoke there's fire I don't know but yeah I'm a little shocked I will say by it and I like Leo Carlson a lot he I think is really impressive I really liked him at the world juniors so but it I don't know I think that like sometimes we talk about a little bit about like the wrong player in the wrong spot. And I think maybe that's what it was not a bad player, but maybe wrong pick and wrong spot, but I could be wrong. Like I said, I really like Leo Carlson a lot. I don't find really any fault in his game either. Like I said, what's so great about this draft was that there really wasn't a bad choice one through five, like with Will Smith, Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli. So yeah, I, it's strange for sure. I do think in a weird way, but like I said, it might end up working, and it looks like Fantilli landed in a good spot for him in Columbus, too. So, like I said, maybe it'll all work out. I really don't have anything bad to say about it. Just more shocking. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's an interesting pick for sure. I, clearly, Anaheim had a reason for doing this, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is the player that they identified as somebody that they really liked, whether it was because he was out of Sweden or his size or whatever physical attributes that this guy's got. They must have really liked it. And I don't know if maybe they thought that at the lottery when they're like, oh, we're getting the second pick. Okay, but we're still going to take Carlson, right? Like if that was the case and they were thinking, okay, you know, we're still going to stick with our guy. I don't know if it threw off anything because I'm sure Columbus was probably like, great, we'll take Fantilli, right? Like no Mm -hmm. problem, right? Um, It's when you get into those other later picks and it didn't really go off the board for a little while until what, Arizona? Uh-huh, like we yeah. knew Mitch Koff was going to fall a little bit. We'll talk about him in a minute. And then Arizona sort of went off the board with number six, but we had this feeling. There was a lot of people had this feeling. I shouldn't say we, but a lot of people had this feeling that Carlson Fantilli were maybe interchangeable, like that they were two yeah. pieces that you could probably, uh, probably swap out and not be terribly surprised. So yeah. I'm not super shocked that that's what happened here. I think he's going to be a great player in Anaheim. I think the pieces that are going to be there, whether it's with Trevor Zegers or anything else, they out here over the next little bit, uh, going to be a big deal. And I think uh, Fantilli going to Columbus where you've got, you know, Johnny Gaudreau and you've got Patrick Laine. And I think they're trying to build something here. We'll see mm-hmm. where that goes. But I thought that was interesting. What did you think about the whole Mitchkoff situation? So coming into the draft, Matt V. Mitchkoff, the question was about his contract, right? He's got three more years that he's kind of committed to this. He wasn't uh, necessarily coming to the NHL right away. That scared a lot of teams off. Then there was a sort, all sorts of rumors heading into the draft that maybe he was sort of trying to navigate where he was going to go. He didn't want to play for certain teams. I don't know if this is true, but I'd heard that he told the Arizona Canoes, the Coyotes, there's no way he's playing for them. Um, so there was a lot of conversation like that. And apparently Philadelphia met with him twice. One time they took in a handful of scouts and he said during that interview, no, I want to be a flyer. I want to be a flyer. And they thought they heard that correctly, but you never really know. And the tra- okay. what's lost in translation. So they brought in a whole bunch of other scouts to meet with him again, like double the size of the room. And he said the same thing. And so that was when Philadelphia was kind of like, okay, well, we know he wants to be here. And if there's any chance he's coming over earlier, he's coming over here and we're not going to lose this player. It's because we picked him. So they did. 
they Philadelphia selected him at number seven, and he seemed really excited about that. So I don't know if that means anything in terms of his contract with the KHL, if he's going to play out all three years and then come over. Philadelphia is not in a rush. They're going through a massive rebuild right now, and it's going to take two or three years for them to do anything. Uh, they got to wipe out all these pieces they're trying to get rid of first, which has been a struggle. And then they're going to start to build up. So the timing's great. What did you think about this? Do you see this as a risk? Is this the kind of player that Philadelphia is going to hit a home run on here? Or would you not have taken this player knowing what you know or what we assume we know about what he's going to do here? I love playing general manager here. So I'm not going to lie. If I was in that spot, I would have taken him. I can't, I can't lie. I do think it's worth the risk. I saw one of the scouts say he was a magician disguised as a hockey player like the skill is obviously there and it just seems like everyone was just like you said more concerned about the contract I did see something today that he was planning on being at the Philadelphia Flyers training camp in 2024 I do think he will come on over um I don't really fear that and I think uh the Blackhawks a director of amateur scouting I think had spoken with him as well um a while back and I think he even said I there was shouldn't be a lot of concerns that he won't come over to the NHL so I think it was a really good pick by the Flyers I can't even lie I didn't think he would fall to seven I thought maybe he'd fall to five maybe four but seven I thought oh that's interesting and good for the Flyers they really kind of have had a lot of bad juju I think the last few years so I do think they needed him so I think it was a good pick I would have picked him I think it's worth the risk to take you know those kinds of players that have that much skill and talent that's so evident yeah, if it doesn't pan out, we're not going to know this for two years. And then we'll start to hear whispers. Yeah, maybe he's not coming, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you're Philadelphia, you can explain it as, look, we had an opportunity to take what we thought was going to be a superstar. Mm-hmm. It's hard to blame us for doing that. We're in the middle mm-hmm. of a, we're just starting a rebuild. Uh, this could have been a centerpiece for us. It didn't pan out that way. But that's two years from now, maybe three Right. So you have a window and a cushion here for the fans to sort of settle into that. Like if it was immediately said, yeah, I don't know why you took me. I'm not coming. That would be a problem. Right. But Philadelphia's got some leeway, some leash here before they have to even explain this pick. If they ever have to explain this pick. Mm -hmm. And if he comes over earlier, great. If he comes over or we start to hear, you know, talk in a a year and a year and a half that he's for sure coming over. Philadelphia is going to look like geniuses here. So it could pay off really, really well. And if it doesn't, to me, it's going to be one of those things that you can sort of explain away, right? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be opportunities here as Philadelphia tries to keep rebuilding and dumping pieces and getting more first and second round picks that they're going to have another shot at this. And even if, you know, Mishkov doesn't pan out, and I think he probably will, mm-hmm. um, you will get another kick at the can here if you're Philadelphia. So to me, I think this is probably a smart play. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't even imagine you know what that interview was probably like with Philadelphia and whether or not he told other teams is like, no, I'm not coming. And then he told Philly, yeah, I'm coming. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to come and I want to play here. And the interesting thing is that he said he wants to play for a team uh, that has the history that he thinks is going to win that has owners who will spend money. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very interesting comment because that tells me a little bit about maybe what his mentality is, right? Like he wants to play in a market where he's very popular and he wants to play in a market where he's going to get very rich. So that's interesting, right? I don't know if that's just a personality trait or if that's a sign that these negotiations could get interesting mm-hmm. on the road and he's going to you know, play his cards in a certain way, but it's hard to know with a kid like this. So 
I think it's quite an interesting pick. We'll see what what happens here, but we're probably not going to know anything for a little bit of time here. Um, where do you want to go next? I know we had talked a little bit about the Coyotes, and they never ceased to surprise us in terms of the picks that they made. Um, we were talking off air here that the two selections they made, I guess, were both considered potential first-round picks, but not necessarily at the spots that they were selected, uh, 6 and 12 overall, and they kind of jumped off the board early with these guys, but... You know, Armstrong said in his interviews afterwards, he's like, these were the two guys we wanted. So they took them. I don't, I'm not sure if they could have traded down and maybe still got those guys at a later and picked up some assets in the process. Cause you know, some teams were trying to move things and probably would have done that. I mean, we heard Barry Trotz apparently offered like a huge haul to get into the top five. So I can't imagine why Nashville wouldn't have offered something to get to six. But I don't know. What'd you think of all that? Arizona. Oh, poor Arizona. I don't even know where to go for. I actually like the Coyotes. So it's, you know, it's just kind of amusing to see them. They always get a top 10 pick and it always seems like they go off the grid. We saw that with Barrett Hayton a little bit, even though he actually turned out to be really good and stuff. I know they did pretty well with Logan Cooley with that pick, but this year's draft, it just felt like okay, I don't really know if maybe you should have gone off the board. But like you said, they were pretty confident. Like they couldn't have been more excited to get those two players. They got two really big, um, strong uh, players there. So I know the one forward that Daniil Booth was one that the Blackhawks were kind of in contact with. He's a 6'5 forward. I mean, yeah, he's a big boy. So, But his projection was more 20-30 range. So it was interesting that they snagged him at 12. So... Yeah, I'm I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Like I said, I'm not a scout. I like I said, we weren't privy to those meetings. We don't know what they saw, but obviously they liked him enough to take him. So we'll see. But it's just funny that, like I said, that they just always seem to go off the board in most of their drafts. So we'll see if this works out for him. Yeah, I, I'm. I was mostly surprised because of what had happened in the days leading up to it. Right, like we'd seen them wave. Uh, Zach Cassian and mm-hmm. they were moving some pieces and we we'd start to hear that maybe Arizona was looking to be a little bit more competitive this year. So that seems like an opportunity to me to go, okay, well, shoot, we could trade down two or three spots. We can get like a really solid or maybe two assets out of this that can mm-hmm. play for us immediately. And maybe a team will retain some salary. If we do that, like I just seemed like a golden opportunity to do something and they chose not to do it. So again, we don't know what these conversations were like. We don't know how, willing other GMs were to play ball here, but it seemed like an interesting choice. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple quick things here. I know it wasn't on our list, but I want to know what your opinion is of the Montreal selection of David Reinbacher, uh, number five, and what we're hearing now. I don't know how true it is, and if it is, it's Uh shameful and upsetting and disappointing that Montreal fans have been all over this kid, uh, sending him, you know, direct messages of, like, pretty hateful stuff. He's from Austria. You know, they've been making all sorts of references to his heritage in Germany and Hitler and crazy things like that. I don't know how much of this is accurate and I don't know how much of this is true. And I'm hoping none of it is, uh, especially because in the interview, the kid was like, what are you most excited about Montreal? He says, the fans, they're super passionate. They love this thing. Like talk about a kick in the gut. If this is what he's getting, Um, it's not his fault. He was picked at number five, even though maybe he was a little bit of a reach, at number five, like he's still up in that list there. Montreal decided to go. And then GM Ken Hughes kind of says in an interview when he asks, what do you think his projection? And he's like, well, he's probably a number two D. He's never a really good quarterback or power play. I don't know that that's helping the kid at all, right? Like, yes, you don't want to put like huge expectations on him. 
but you've basically jumped off the board here with number five in a draft that has got so many good forwards. You went and took a defenseman who isn't probably going to be a number one defenseman for you and open up this whole can of worms for this kid. Uh, do you have an opinion on any of this? Like what have you heard and what do you think about this whole thing? Do you think it's true? I saw the same thing about um, about some of the supposed hate uh, messages he was getting from some fans. And I do think, like I said, I don't know how true that is either, but I did see on Twitter some kind of like, what's that called? Like the Twitter spaces where some fans were really upset. And obviously we're not going to call out all Montreal fans here because obviously not all of them are like that. And a lot of them actually did show a lot of support for him, I saw. But I thought the same thing that maybe it was a reach but even like from our hockey writer scouts like they talked very highly about um Reinbacher so yeah maybe was it a reach maybe but he might turn out to be really good he might be actually a steal that we're not like I think people need to give him a chance there but I think the best thing I thought that came out of that whole thing was that Daniel Winnick who obviously was a former NHL player he had tweeted out today about him saying like um I played against him all year in the Swiss league he already shows poise hands and skating ability greater than Larson is now superior skater who can take shifts over and is playing against men already I thought that was fantastic I thought that was a great way to kind of smooth things over and like I said if this is all true and this is kind of the treatment he's getting that I really do feel sorry for him because that was a big moment that he was so excited about like you said that was kind of you know, tarnished a little bit. And like you said, it's not his fault. Um, Like they said, if you're mad about the pick, fair, it's not his fault. Take it out on management then. Take it out on Kent Hughes. Like it's, yeah, so that kind of part of the business does stink a lot. But I actually have high hopes for him. Like I said, our scouting at the Hockey Writers were actually big fans of this guy. So yeah, we'll just have to see. I think he can prove a lot of people wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, let's hope he does. I mean, Montreal's kind of got a history of going off the board a little bit. They took just Jasper Kokaniemi that one year, and everybody freaked out uh, and thinking, oh, my God, what are they doing? So Montreal has got a history of sort of going off the board here, and these players tend to turn out okay. Like, Kokaniemi's not been a star by any means, but he's doing all right in Carolina okay. now. It didn't ma- didn't work out in Montreal with the all offer sheet fiasco, but, like, he's a good player, so it's not like, you know, you would assume Montreal has got some sort of a plan and they kind of know what they want and what they're doing here. Was there any major surprises for you at the draft? Uh, anything that you were kind of shocked by or you called in advance fully expected to have happen? Like what was the big surprise of the day for you? If any, I don't know if this was really surprising, but I was kind of surprised by this and this isn't really draft related, but kind of is because it was around the same time was Riley Smith getting traded from Vegas Golden Knights from the Vegas. That one really surprised me. And I understood that they needed to shed salary. I did not see Ivan Barbashev resigning in Vegas. I thought he would hit the open market. So I was kind of surprised by that whole thing. And I knew Riley Smith was such an important part of their team. So I don't know, maybe like I said, it made sense. Maybe it wasn't as shocking, but I was still a little shocked for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, that one didn't happen necessarily during the draft, but there was a lot of movement around yeah. just before and just after. Um, mm-hmm. And he was one of those pieces. That, I mean, this is Vegas doing what Vegas does, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a team who has basically dumped all of almost all of their original players. Mm-hmm. Well, they got four left. Like yeah. they they have they're ruthless. They don't care. Like yes, they probably are kind of like, oh, it's a bummer that we lost Riley Smith, but they've decided that Ivan Barbashev is the guy they want, and so they're giving him Riley Smith's money. So. You got two years left to Riley Smith, five million bucks goes to Pittsburgh, and Barbashev comes in five million bucks for five years. They take the younger player, they're going to keep him an extra three years. They like what he did in the playoffs, and then they went and signed Aiden Hill today. 
um, for two years at 4.9 million. I guess he deserved it. Played 27 games with Vegas and had a like a miraculous playoff run. I wouldn't say came out of nowhere because he was sort of decent in San Jose the year before, but kind of did. Kind of came yeah. out of nowhere, right? Like he was a player that nobody had on the radar for Vegas. Nobody assumed he'd be the hero of the playoffs. And he made himself a nice little payday uh, mm-hmm. for having a really good run and winning the Stanley Cup. Um, so Vegas does this. This is what their MO is. They they go with the flavor of the day and they dump anything that isn't uh, that's sort of in the way of getting done what they want to get done. And they make no apologies for it. So Pittsburgh's going to get a good player in Riley Smith. And mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting, uh, whatever Dubas is already doing his thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's over there making moves. And I don't know if the third round pick, is that what it was? Third round pick that they had to give up to get him um, was maybe too much considering some of the other players that got dumped for absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still third round pick for a guy like Riley Smith. Riley Smith is a good player. So mm-hmm. uh, it'll be yeah. interesting. And you wonder if Barbashev has the same sort of year he had mm-hmm. last year. Last question before we uh, round things out. What did you think of the David Poyle stuff? That was kind of the honorary guy of the day, right? David Poyle uh, ending his tenure as GM of the Nashville Predators. The draft is taking place in Nashville. Everybody's thanking David Poyle. And then uh, GM of the Jersey Devils, uh, Tom Fitzgerald, makes a trade with David Poyle at the very end of this whole thing so that he can make one final pick and one final trade before he goes up into the sunset and Barry Trotz takes over. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was a neat little touch. And for people who don't know, Tom Fitzgerald was the first ever captain of the Nashville Predators. So there's a whole tie in there. Uh, So it really worked out well. And there was another cool moment where they uh, Columbus made a trade so they could pick a kid who'd been sitting in the crowd the entire day and hadn't been been selected probably shouldn't have been there because it wasn't necessarily a given he was going to get selected, Mm -hmm. but they saw him and they wanted to pick him. I can't even remember his name, but um, I knew his last name was pedal. Yeah. So I thought that was cool too. What'd you think of the, uh, those two moments? Um, I thought actually Nashville did a really good job with David Poyle. Um, just that whole thing, all the general managers, when they all said thank you to him and stuff, I've always had a lot of respect for him. Obviously they're central division rivals, but obviously he's very well respected while liked general manager just kind of does everything the right way. And obviously that showed how much everyone respects him. So I actually really liked that. And yeah, that story with the kid who sat there six hours and then finally got picked at the last one. I thought that was great. I love that. And I guess to kind of go off Nashville too, that was also kind of a surprising thing to see them buy out Matt Duchesne. I don't think I was expecting that either. I can't imagine no one wants him. Oh, he'll get signed. He'll get signed for sure. But I was surprised that no one would want to trade for him. I don't know. Well, he was making massive money, right? Like he was making Uh eight and change, I think. So like nobody's going to take him at that salary and so Nashville would have had to retain 50% on two people they just retained 50% on Ryan Johansson I mean I get I don't know what Nashville's doing necessarily Barry Trotz must have a plan they're they've got like 11 and a half dead cap space now mm-hmm. so they're getting rid of the old guys though like and I don't even know if Johansson and Duchesne are considered all that old but they're moving on from these players and yeah. they're doing something else so I think Duchesne will get signed and I'll be curious to see if he signs for like dirt cheap yeah because he is a little bit older. He's going to make a lot of money from the buyout. And he made a lot of money in his career already. Maybe he just wants to win somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm curious to see where he goes. Like I have, yeah. pff, there's so many options. We're going to have to do another show on this yeah. because I think there's going to be 
a lot of consideration and possibilities coming out of some of these buyouts and these non-qualified RFAs and like it just opened wide up in the last 24 to 48 hours and I was not expecting it. So mm-hmm. I think that's a whole other show because there's yeah. there's a lot of content there that we could probably cover. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave on the draft here? Uh, all I got to say is that I think the kids are all right. That's really all I left with from the draft. These kids like Bedard, Fantilli, Will Smith, Leo Carlson, they all seem like great kids with great personalities. I think even if you're not even a fan of those teams, you'll be a fan of those players. That's kind of what I left with. So I'm actually really excited to see how they all do in the NHL. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I know. I was watching the selections and my wife walked in uh, partway through, I don't know, it was like midway through the first round and she saw an interview with one of the players. She's like, oh, I can't. That's so good. I should have been watching this whole thing. I feel so good for these kids, right? It's just like the highlight of their life, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's what this whole day is. This is like, we forget that, right? Like we talk about trades, we talk about picks, we talk about GMs and what they're doing. We talk about the scouting, but we forget sometimes that this is like the biggest moment in these Mm -hmm. families' lives. Like that these kids are absolutely thrilled to be selected. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple that don't want to go certain places, but really for the most part, regardless of where they're picked, uh, they're just so excited to make the NHL. Their families are thrilled for them. You see tears and parents and everybody's just so happy. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it is a, pretty cool moment one of the reasons you like the draft so much right it's just it's got that emotional side of it um that's really cool and then you see some you know downer stuff with people sliding too but for the most part everybody's just really really happy so that's kind of cool mm-hmm. brooke thank you very much i appreciate you coming on talking a little bit about the draft we're going to talk some trades we're going to talk some buyouts we're going to talk what's happening here in free agency on the next show and uh see where this all goes i I don't. I didn't think it was going to be terribly busy like it had been in the previous uh-huh. years, but I don't know. I could be wrong now. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I know. All of a sudden, it became somewhat of a virus market. So a lot of that will have to do with the cap and how willing these players are to sign for cheap. And if they're, if you have a handful of guys that are like, look, I just want a job. Like, uh-huh. I'll go where the offer is because I do not know if I'm going to get an offer. You know, in in a week. If that happens, it could be busy. So we'll have a lot of conversations to do there. Thank you again. I appreciate it. For everybody else, another edition of the NHL Trade Talk podcast. We'll get this up in live so you can listen to it and then enjoy free agency day because it is tomorrow. And then the whole week after that, we'll see what teams are doing. Um, Take care, everybody. Talk to you in the next one.